Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. All right. Here we are. Greetings and welcome to Unloose the Goose. This is episode 33. And we've got on the channel with us John Bush and myself, Xavier Hawk. And we're going to be talking about the first decentralized evolution, which is counter to the fourth industrial revolution. Um, we're going to open this up to viewers and questions. If you'd like to join us in the Telegram, t.me unloose the goose. There is a link to the Zoom right now and you can join us and we'll take your questions and have a discussion about uh, you know, what it looks like going forward instead of the fourth industrial revolution, what it means to have a decentralized evolution. So yep. welcome, John. How are you? Good, man. It's been a really, really exciting week meeting with all sorts of government agents and UN, uh, UN spies. <laughs> Bill Gates himself. Exactly. You know, he, he opened up a, an invite to me to the World Economic Forum, of course. Well, I was like, our good friend. Yeah. So, for those not familiar, there's this marketing effort put on by the World Economic Forum called the Great Reset. We've talked about it on this program and other programs before. Uh, the World Economic Forum is a collaborative group of oligarchs that meet regularly in Switzerland, Davos, Switzerland. And more recently, they launched this effort they're calling the Great Reset. And it was launched as a result in response to COVID-19. Although many of the players that are involved in the World Economic Forum were also involved in this drill that took place before COVID-19 and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, all this stuff. But uh, they are saying that we need a great reset. We need to reset the economy. We need to reset health care. We need to help to usher in a fourth industrial revolution, which essentially is merging technology and biology in all sorts of ways. I got this article um, it's, it's from the World Economic Forum, but they point out what the first, second, and third revolutions were. The first industrial revolution used water and steam power to me mechanize production. The second used electric power to create mass production. The third used electronics and information technology to automate production. Now a fourth industrial revolution is building on the third, the digital revolution that has been occurring since the middle of the last century. And they're wanting to bring forward technologies like Artificial intelligence, robotics, Internet of Things, autonomous vehicles, 3D printing, nanotechnology, biotechnology, material science, energy storage, and quantum computing. Drones is another big one. And, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And a lot of this was evolving naturally. But the problem is many of the key players that are involved in the World Economic Forum and many of the people that are pushing this stuff, like Bill Gates, for example, and the Rockefellers, they have a tendency to want to centralize power and control things. What are your thoughts on that? You're big in in tech. Do you think a lot of these technologies were inevitably coming, or do you think that some of the seeds were sown in more of a conspiratorial way? What What are your thoughts? Well, I have some, but you know, you said a couple things there that made me come up with some questions. So I was at this uh, event today, a meeting of some really brilliant folks, and the question came up. Because everybody's familiar with Marvel, right? And the the Endgame and Infinity War sagas, where you know Thanos was trying to get rid of 
half the universe, right? Because when he did that on Gamora's home planet, and if those of you who are not familiar with, with, with Marvel, uh, Thanos is this character that everybody considers evil who, you know, he would go to planets and kill half the population so that the rest of the population could survive well and have enough resources because his theory was that there isn't enough resources on any planet or in the universe to meet a universe teeming with life, competition of resources, right? And so he thought he was doing this benevolent thing. And so the question came about is like, A, is there overpopulation and mismanagement of resources? B, do the ends justify the means in getting rid of these kinds of people? Um, and by these kinds of people, I mean all of us. And, uh, you know, like everybody's seen the Georgia Guidestones and, and like the idea of keeping the population at 500 million and whatever. So my question to you, John, is do you think that these fellows and fellowettes, the, the female version, do you think that the, you know, like the Gates and the people who feel like, you know, Prince Philip, that he would rather come back as a virus to wipe out half the population. Do you think that they are doing this in altruism or do you think that they are just psychotic and, you know, you know, cause you could, you could say with, with the Avengers saga that Thanos was doing what he felt was right. Right. And that nobody had the will to do something so horrible to benefit everybody. Like you could identify with his character and his reasoning. Right. So the question again is, um, do the ends justify the means? Do you think that they're just psychotic or that they're actually working towards ends that they think are good? I think that in large part they're control freaks. Mm-hmm. And I think that whenever they amassed a certain status in society or a certain amount of wealth, it then turned into a question of like, well, what else can we do and what can we control now that we've achieved this? What else can we do? There's like a megalomaniacal element to it. Right. And the whole... Uh, population reduction theme is super prevalent in all this different stuff in Agenda 21 and the Global Biodiversity Assessment. It's all part of this eugenics program that they had early on, right, where they want to limit the breeding or stop the breeding altogether of what they deem undesirable populations. It wasn't but a few decades ago that that, that there were eugenics laws still on the books in, like, states in the South. And, you know, being a conspiracy researcher, not theorist for, for quite some time. Um, everyone was always banging on the population reduction. And so I was like, you know, I want to go find some primary source material so I can see, is this really part of this big agenda? Right. And there's a lot of allusions to it and this, that, and the other. And one thing that I did find was in the global biodiversity assessment, which is this, you know, 800 or a thousand page document. That's kind of a compendium. It goes alongside agenda 21, which came out in the 1992 Rio de Janeiro earth summit. And what they say in there is if we are to maintain the current population level, then everyone would have to live as serfs is one thing they said. And they said, um, if no, I'm sorry, they said either we if we maintain this population level, everyone needs to be serfs. If we want to maintain the standard of living that we have, then the population needs to be somewhere around like one point five billion or something that's like dramatically less than what it is now. So. I definitely think that's a big part of this play and a lot of the control that's pl- being played out. I think that the elite want to create a situation and an environment where the proles and the common man can no longer revolt against them. I think that's what they're most absolutely terrified of. And so yeah. if you have a smaller, more manageable population sure. that's controlled through technocracy and surveillance, then it makes it easier to avoid revolutions in the future. 
Yeah, I all I always come back to the the manage the herd, you know, farm sort of analogy for civilization mm-hmm. and these folks who have achieved either by genetics or history or familial power or structures have mm-hmm. achieved dominance, right? They they a primarily want to maintain their level of living, right? And then as an effect of that, they say, well, then we better manage the mob because the mob will be the ones who eat us and destroy us out of lack. And they'll think that we have it and then they'll take it, eat it, destroy us all, you know, and then themselves in the process because he's not intelligent enough to manage itself, which I think is a basic fundamental incorrect premise. Right. I think that we as a collective species have a greater amount of intelligence Mm -hmm. than even the smartest supercomputer. Um, but that, that level of mistrust is there simply because they themselves have used whatever means to get what they are and where they are, sometimes illicit means or, or horrible means. Um, and so then, you know, when you do something, you tend to look at the world as that, right? So we see in others and we hate in others what we're not willing to see in ourselves, right? So the premise that humanity is stupid and not able to manage itself is really a mirror for them because if everybody acted the way that they did, then we would have basically the world as it is a big fucked up mess, pe- mess pile. So, you know, and, and every good, somebody in the, in the YouTube Fubair says Thanos is a character to indoctrinate you to accept the idea that the global elite want to achieve. Why don't you frame it as if the movie is separate from the agenda? I, I think the reason why I, I put it that way, Fubair is because, you know, every, every good quote unquote, you know, I'm making air quotes, every good villain believes that they're doing the right thing, right? Like Genghis Khan believed he was doing the right thing by unifying and making peace throughout Asia. And the means by which he did it was arguably very horrendous, right? Um, and Hitler thought he was doing the right thing by civilization, by conquering it all. And so our throughout history, our villain, and it would be great if CJ were here, but you know, all of our villains throughout real world history were doing what they thought was right. Right. And so in trying to have some empathy for these characters, uh, meaning like the Gates and the Weff and the Rats and the, you know, the, the Klaus Schwab's Dr. Dr. Evil. Right. Like to have some empathy for them, like they're scared. Right. There's there's so many humans and many of us are unreasonable. Um, and it's it's like we respond reactively, emotionally, sometimes without all the data and just go off as though we are correct. And I think that's ubiquitous across the globe, whether you're Klaus Schwab or, you know, a kid, you know, a homeless man on the street. So it's like the to have empathy for and say, okay, they must be really scared to enact such draconian evil measures like releasing a bioweapon to to inoculate the the population with a disease that could get rid of half of us, you know, Um or Agenda 2030 and all these things, these draconian panopticonal means of technocratic control and dominance, they've got to be really scared themselves. So how do we as a population be non-threatening and say, look, we can actually build some cool shit together. You don't need to kill us half of us, you know? Man, it just seems like there's, um, it seems like we're at the point of no return because there's so, there's like so many competing interests and those in power are obviously plowing forward with, with their agenda. Right. And I think it's super heightened consciousness to, you know, to say we need to have compassion for the Gateses and stuff. And that's the ultimate challenge. I guess that's what Jesus Christ taught. Right. Um, and <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, but, you know, at the same time, there's, there's folks that it's 
it's definitely preferable to have compassion than to get all angry and worked up and like storm and, and want to try to take up arms and stuff. And I think ultimately the answer is to opt out is to build something better, right? Not Mm -hmm. like they want to do, which is centralized, but something that's decentralized, something that, uh, honors people's individual sovereignty. And that's what we're hoping to prevent. So they have the fourth industrial revolution, right? They did the great reset and we put together the greater reset and then they did the fourth industrial revolution. So an idea that I want to push out there, and it's all about empowerment. Like they're doing all this stuff. A lot of people just focus on that and they just research that and write articles, share videos, and, and they're, they're disempowered and feel afraid. But we can empower ourselves to take action and to be solutions oriented. So they have the fourth industrial revolution. Well, we have the first decentralized evolution. So I'm trying to like put together what this concept looks like and what the elements are. So, for example, with the fourth industrial revolution, we have drones is a big part of it, robotics, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, uh, smart cities, right? That's all big parts of it, um, greater surveillance, right? And so I'm thinking on the decentralized evolution, and we have encryption, decentralized blockchain. Uh, one element is like decentralized food production systems, which I think is really important, uh, what else do you think would be included in a first decentralized evolution? Social platforms, decentralized yeah. social platforms, governance, right? Because in my, where I'm sitting and looking at the playing field, I see these people with immense power, immense centralized economic financial wherewithal and, and resources, and then sitting and influencing inside the governments of the world. In fact, I actually personally believe that the governments are not even in charge at this point, that they're sort of at the, the blackmail end of the barrel to intelligence services. Those the who Jeffrey have, Epstein, they've been epstein Yeah, in a sense, um, you know, you see the Black Eye Club and all of this stuff, and it gets to the highest echelon. So who's really running the show? If I were an intelligence operative, right, and I had all of your fucking phone data and stuff, I wouldn't just be like, hey, here's all the things we have on you. I would be like, here's how we have everything on you. Now, you would then think, oh, these are all the horrible things I've said and done on those platforms or those phone calls. And then you wouldn't want that to get out because that would threaten your position of power or whatever. So then I would say, so put me at the table with you and get me in the room to have the conversations. And then I would influence everything the way I wanted to. And I think that's what's happened. And so we're in a position now where, like you were said, there's so many competing interests. And usually they're all self uh, oriented, like how can we get our own thing and get our own top of the kingdom? And everybody's trying to pile on the top of this this uh, mound while the water's rising, and they're sort of like, screw everybody else, we're going to save ourselves. And the 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 challenge or the quest that I'm on personally is like, how can we demonstrate that we can actually do this better than any of the solutions that they've thought of? Because they look and they say, oh well, obviously they're all morons. Obviously they can't be trusted. Obviously they, you know, are reactionary and all these things. When I when I personally believe the opposite and I say, if we are inspired properly, then we can take all of these decentralized technologies that you're talking about, operate them ourselves in a decentralized, uh, self-governing manner and actually like meet the goals without the death, without the enslavement, without any of those things. But as in the same way that we all came together in the United States and Care Bear stared the fuck out of the virus and took, you know, 15 days to stop the spread, we actually all did that free will, right? When March, whatever happened, you know, a year ago, they're like, this is what we suggest. Everybody take two weeks off. And those who could did. And everybody just like stayed away. And then boom, the, the, uh, the, the amount of 
positive tests, you know, started going down until like, you know, they started fucking with everything. But, um, it's like free will when inspired and when everybody's educated and sort of like explained, this is what's going on. How can we all cooperate and make something better out of this shitty situation? You usually get that. You usually will get that from people, right? If like we're in a bus and it's about to careen off the cliff and all we needed to do was all move to the back of the bus and somebody said, Hey, everybody to save our lives, we just need to move to the back of the bus. Everybody would fucking move to the back of the bus. Um, and so, like, how do we do that with technology that we have now, decentralized social platforms? We can build systems of economics, systems of self-governance, and these technologies in a good way. Because they're going to, like, your first question, do you think that this is inevitable, these things that are going to happen? And I believe yes. Like Jack has said a number of times on the show before, it's like the the technological evolutions are going to come. It's sort of like part of the natural growth of things. It's whether or not we do it in a responsible manner or somebody does it on our behalf and we proxy our freedom to them. Cause that's what's happening. People aren't taking the steering wheel because they don't know how, and they don't have a good way of doing it cooperatively. So they're proxying their fate to some of these other, you know, jerkwads <laughs> who've got these technologies in this financial wherewithal. So yes, I think the technologies would happen. It's, it's our job to actually do something with them and, and make it better. Those pesky jerkwads. Those pesky jerkwads. I could have something <laughs> worse, but I'm like, maybe I should not curse. You want, with, you want the third grade route. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, you know, so many people are so disempowered that it just, there's just so much weakness. And it creates like a vacuum of power that's able yeah. to be filled by these technocrats and these oligarchs and, and people. Some of them have nefarious ends. Some of them, like you were saying, are just on the wrong path or... Yeah, you know, like some Machiavellian ends justify the means. And it, something that I've been vibing on lately is I'm, I'm obsessed with like all these success guys and all these sales and marketing guys, right? And a big element of that with the good ones is mindset talk and empowerment and like believe in yourself and go get it and make goals and manifest that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that we can apply those same principles to our activism and to our pursuit of freedom. And we can realize like, yeah, I'm, I can set a goal. I can achieve that goal. I, I'm a powerful human being. And then when you have a bunch of people on the same page, like we're going to create this competing decentralized peer to peer network, or we're going to use this social governance app to make a huge impact in people's lives or like Satoshi Nakamoto. I'm going to throw out this really cool idea of a peer to peer. It's not peer-to-peer digital cash anymore, unfortunately, but this peer-to-peer network, right, that's decentralized and has no one governing it, it can't be shut down. You know, like we can do really cool stuff. Really cool things have happened in the past. Look at the MLKs and the Gandhis. We can we can do that same type of thing, but instead add this technology to it that gives people even more power to where it can't be shut down. Like can lean on one person, but it makes it a lot harder when there's thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to lean on to and everyone on the same page. And these technologies are liberating and they're at the same time bringing people together to, to have some level of coordination. Cause I think that's something that's been missing in a lot of the movements and Liberty movements and agorist movements is people getting connected, people being organized and people uh, marching in unison. Right. Yeah. Cause if you have a, a central leader, right, then they, they, that's a central point of failure. They just get taken out or get, you know, lawsuits against them or inconvenient, you know, false charges or whatever. Um, and, and it's like, well, how do we empower a population 
as a whole to all be self-starting leaders, you know, and that comes from the empowerment talk and these sales guys that you're talking about. Uh, Fubair in the, in the comments, he's saying, uh, we are enslaved by convenience. And I think that that's really true. It's sort of like, Oh, my life is good. I've got food. I've got all the things that I want. So somebody else is taking care of all of that to make sure that that's there for me. And yeah. I think that that's a huge mistake, you know, and, and that's the reason for like the survival podcast and unloose the goose and all of the different podcasts that we do. It's, it's so that we're trying to take ownership of our own lives so that we're not proxying our fate again to, to anybody else. Cause if the vacuum of power, like you said, is left open, somebody will take it. Yeah. And that I resonate with that enslaved by convenience. I've often created, there's a tension between convenience and liberty. And like I myself, when I had, when I had kids, you know, I got two kids running around. That's a whole lot of time commitment and work. And now yeah. I have this business that's growing. That's a lot of time commitment and work. Like I, all these people share these memes and it's like, find something on Amazon, then go search for it and buy directly from the store. And I'm like, I don't, I never do that to confess. Right. Like I know Jeff Bezos is in bed with the department of defense and they like boot platforms and they booted parlor, right? Like I wasn't a big parlor guy, but I think still think parlor should be able to exist, but I still like the convenience is just so, wow, you can get it the next day or in two days. Another thing, like I still use Google. I'm slowly shifting away to my proton account. I use Cryptpad for spreadsheets and docs on some projects but Google Drive is still far superior in its ease of use and its features, you know. So I, I just, I, I, I feel hypocritical sometimes on that front because another thing, it's convenient to have a driver's license. It's better to drive without a driver's license or plates, but it's inconvenient to get pulled over and hassled, right? Right. It's obviously more free and inconsistent, and consistent, and consistent with our principles to not pay the income tax, but it's sure inconvenient to have your assets seized or to go to jail for willful failure to file or something. So yeah. it's a struggle. I think it's like a, I think for the longest time, you know, us on this podcast and many of our listeners were kind of ahead of the curve. And now it seems like this voluntarist, this agorist movement, this crypto anarchist movement is just swelling that hopefully someday we can all take action together, right? I would like that. And I think that, like you're saying, it's swelling, but the, the, it's, it's sort of like a bell curve, but in 3D and the water, it's like those of us who have sort of started and led the way, there's just a few of those. We're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? The people who've come before, um, who've sort of paved the way for libertarianism, for agorism, for, and, and we're swelling the ranks and shows like this and others, you know, all the people who are on the goose each have their own show and, and, and are sort of reaching into new levels of the fractal of all the people who are sort of vibing at the same kind of intention, but each, uh, the farther you get from that initial dollop, right? Um, it's, it's diluted that the amount of power in that is, is diluted in a sense. And it might be like, Oh, I'm, you know, a, a voluntarist in this way, or I'm an agorist in this way, or I'm a crypto anarchist in this way, but they might not share the complete value system, right? They're just like representing a certain part of it. And there's got to be some kind of a framework or architecture that allows us to make decisions together instigate new efforts or new branches of our movement and do it in such a way that it's easy to fall in line or to follow along. Right. Um, and then lead from your own example, kind of like an organic, you know, uh, mushroom growth or, or mycelium growth um, where each one of is producing like some kind of intelligent sprout. That's a formation, but um, it's all part of the same system, you know? 
Yeah, I like that. I, I have this concept that I'm kicking around with the Freedom Cell Network. It can happen with an app and like a DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, or it can happen old school style with humans. And so, you know, the Freedom Cell Network, many of the listeners are familiar with, you got eight people in an inner cadre. They work together on common goals. And then you have eight groups of eight. That's a middle cadre, maybe spread across a city, right? And then they link up with other groups of 64, the eight groups of eight for a meta cadre. Well, when there's decisions that need to be made and Freedom Cell Network's like growing, it's almost 20,000 people, which is super cool. You know, it's a lot of smaller activity, people, you know, building gardens, going to the gun range. We have, you know, meet, we have 60 people that come to our Central Texas meetup. And eventually I want it to grow to like, it replaces the state as a means of social organization and providing goods and services, right? Because we are all individuals, but when we pull resources or energy and resources, money together, we can maximize our effectiveness and get bigger things done. So I had this concept of like a decision-making apparatus. I'd be curious on your feedback for this. So you have your group of your intercontra group of eight, and if they want to do something together, they can easily reach a consensus, right? But what about getting a consensus with the group of 64? So if there's someone in a group of 64, they're part of a group of eight, and they're like, hey, I got this great idea. Why don't we put our money together um, and come up with a budget so we can do a retreat, for example, with all 64 of us at this great big retreat center, and we pull the money together to fly in some speakers and do workshops or whatever. Uh, another thing that's even sexier is like, let's pull our money in to pr- pay for a private security force for us. Whenever we start getting a little more bold, then we have a private security agency that's defending us. That's something that Samuel Rekonkin talks about a lot. And so it's like, okay, you get you get your group of eight to agree, and then the group of eight puts forward the proposition to the group of 64, right? And then it's not that the group of 64 debates it out. It's that that question gets taken to each of the individual groups of eight. And then each one of the groups that reach consensus, they then throw their vote in essentially. And so the idea is hopefully we can get eight groups that all agree. And the cool thing about this is that even if some of the groups don't agree, like maybe two of them don't agree, they can still maintain the cohesion of the group of 64, but the, it's the other six groups that go along with it, right? This can scale up just the same to the meta cadre, which is like 512 people, eight groups of 64. So when all of those eight groups of eight come up with an agreement, then they send it up. And so our group of 64 agrees. What about your group of 64? What about your group of 64? This can all be done manually, old school, with people talking and then sending the message, right? Um but it could also be done with an app, with a blockchain. So like the person that proposes the question, everybody joins. Once you join, you get a address or a wallet. Maybe you only get the wallet when you have your group of eight or maybe when you join. And then whenever you have a question, you put forward that question in the form of a smart contract. And when you put forward that question, maybe you need at least eight people in your cadre to agree. Then it puts forward to the middle cadre. It creates an address, a voting address, right? And then Immediately, everyone in your group, the larger group, gets a token, and then you can send that token to a yes address or a no address, right? That's, that's how, how it could potentially work. Yeah, that's how we're we're designed it for Firon. It's basically the same thing, and in the in the sense that, uh, let's say you have a region, let's say the South Florida region or whatever, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to because everybody's part owner of the corporation. It's essentially like a, a roundtable discussion in a boardroom but on an app and everybody who that decision would affect gets to discuss it. They get paid for their discussion. They get micropayments for contributing their voice, their vision, their passions. And then as that happens and everybody decides, okay, yeah, we, we like this, this uh, proposal that John put forward. 
We want to, we want to incorporate that into a, our governance, or we want to build that garden or whatever that school is, or that, that, that function or project that you have in mind. Mm-hmm. Everybody says yes. And they have a discussion about it. And then, uh, when it's time to do the vote, it's sort of like, okay, well, everybody gets a token that disappears. It's like you just said, a smart contract token where they get the token. It disappears after three days. So maybe they don't have time that day to vote, but they do have time within that three day window. Maybe they're sitting on the toilet and they can actually read the comments or watch the video or whatever. And then they send that token to the yes wallet, the no wallet or the abstain wallet. Right. And then the, the consensus algorithm is based on the phi ratio. So let's say there's a hundred people in that region or that group, then, uh, the phi ratio of that, which I think is 61 point something, um, or 67, not sure. Um, but it, that would be the, that would be the phi ratio of, of uh that that group that quorum and that's what would trigger the the activity or the or the release of funds for whatever that project is of yours because those oh. funds would sit in a uh a multi-sig, a multi-sig escrow wallet correct cool. and then and then once the decision it's made then it goes to like you know the, that actually triggers the event where you get the funds that you've asked for so phi so there's the phi ratio or whatever that determines if, so it's like, it, that's what you would do in place of like a super majority or 50% plus one. It's this phi ratio. Yeah, basically, because the idea is, you know, when you look at a phi ratio in broccoli or sunflower, there's, there's, there's numbers of different spirals out there. There's the, uh, is this like a Fibonacci thing or what, what's the, I'm not familiar exactly with what the number is. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of different ones. Fibonacci makes a certain kind of spiral, on a, on a sunflower, the E, you know, the, the constant makes a certain kind of spiral. And then the phi ratio, it's most commonly seen with a spiral that goes in and it just would keep on going. Like you have a, a rectangle, then you split it in half and then you split that in half, split that in half, split that oh, in yeah. half. Mm-hmm. You mean, right. Um, but what it means is like also for your fingers, right? For those of you who are not watching, I'm measuring the tip of my finger to the first knuckle, the, the, that plus the next one equals a phi ratio of the first one and then so on and so forth up to your, your, uh, what are these phalanges, right? The phalange bones. I don't know the, the metatorphal. You got some nice phalanges right there. I tell you what, boy. Mm. And so basically like a quorum of a hundred, a phi ratio of that, I think is 63 points something. Okay. So it's not, it's not arbitrary. It's rooted in this magic number. I like that. Yeah. And that, and the idea is that there's a lot of power in that, in the sense that like a nautilus shell has the phi ratio built into it. The broccoli stems, the, the trees with their, their leaves and the, and the branches that come off the main stem. Hmm. And so the idea there is that if, if you have that ratio and that, and there's like that tension, it sort of helps life develop because it continues onward into kind of infinity. Any strong, vibrant life force you know, beings have that, that built in inherently like the human body. Yeah. And then I guess if you get that, at least that number of people, then that is a pretty good indicator that there's some cohesion on it and you could move forward rather than it being random. So is y'all's app, I know it's like developing and you have milestones and stuff. Are you guys going to develop your own blockchain or are you going to ride it along Cardano or Chainlink or Ethereum or whatever? Did you uh, hear about Cardano? Did you hear the last episode we did with Jack when we were talking about Cardano? I didn't. So Charles Hoskinson is brilliant. He's just a fucking yeah. genius, right? Um, mad respect for the fellow. But And Jack mentioned this, and I haven't looked at the white paper, so I haven't corroborated it. But he said, you know, I was going through the white paper, and if you weren't looking for this, you would just gloss over it. It was just so on, on the side kind of being mentioned. But basically in there is the ability to shut out somebody's wallet, destroy them, like just remove oh, them. Oh, man. 
Yes, but here's why. It's not just like a control state thing. It's like Charles is so brilliant. He wants to disintermediate the stock exchange and produce a real well-oiled, controlled economic system for trading stocks and equities. Because the idea is like the whole stock market will be transferred to a blockchain eventually, NFTs, tokens, all of that. And mm-hmm. so to do that, you they need to have that ability, that shut off mechanism, right? To uh, shut off what? A bad actor? Yeah, exactly. And who shuts off though? Like, yeah, that's the fucking point, isn't it? Is it a consensus so, mechanism? Because if enough of the nodes or wallet holders or whatever, coin so, ho- token holders. From what I understand, the way Jack described it, it's a very centralized power system. You know? The foundation or? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Charles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Charles is sitting there. <laughs> Um, no, I don't, I don't think that he would do that to be honest with you, but I, I think that there would be some kind of like architecture of governance in that, that, yeah. I would, you know, but, but so to answer your question, no, it's not Cardano. It's our own blockchain and it's not just one. There's a number of them. We would use different builds of different chains for different sets of data. Um, but like on the voting system, you know, there's a lot of really good voting, uh, blockchains out there that are, that could be used, utilized or whatever. So each function within the app, which is going to be a DAP, a decentralized app on the web 3.0 so that the entire system is a progressive web app, right? Instead of like a Apple store app or a Google play store app. Um, there's reasons we built the way we did in quickness and in speed to show, you know, we're making progress and stuff. And so, um, it's not where it's supposed to be. And it's, we, we are looking at milestones, yeah. but eventually like I've been med- messing around with MetaMask and, you know, trust wallet and these sort of like explorers kind of, they're, they're, it's like an app, but you have a browser inside of it and, mm-hmm. and all of this really cool functionality, very simple to use, even some of the complex contracts and stuff that are in there. Um, so that's what it's going to look and feel like, you know, like, uh, like this modern web 3.0 system and, the, the voting will be really intuitive. The, the message boards will be really intuitive. Um, and it's not there yet, but we are having like, you know, we're having success in the fact that it's there. People are working on it and using it. Um, but as, as we step forward, you know, these things will be built on an entire distributed chain and the distributed web. So like, no, like Apple can't tell us we can't be in the store. Google Play can't tell us we can't be in the store. It'll be on like a third layer of the web, which is a, a blockchain based web. Nice. Yeah, you know, it's it's why and that's a great strategy. Just go ahead and get it going, right? Because yeah. people, people got to build momentum and test stuff out and get the community together. Um, you know, it, being in the blockchain space for a while, you've been in it for a while too. There's like, I remember just being so idealistic about every about Bitcoin right. and everything, and like the big one of the big value propositions is we would go to. Uh, I would go to stores, brick and mortar stores, and I'd say, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about setting up Bitcoin as a payment method instead of credit cards. There's, it's little to no fees whatsoever, less than the credit card fees, right? Which are like two to three percent. Now the fees are like $12, even if you're buying a $5 coffee. So that was one of the big value propositions that's gone now because of the scaling issues on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? And just for a quick aside on what that is, there's each block is one megabyte. You can only fit so many transactions on that one block. The transactions are data. And so when people compete to get into that next block to make sure your transactions confirmed within 10 minutes, there's this mining fee and that mining fee gets bid up. It's really brilliant example of free market in action, total free market in action. It's a market mechanism, a price discovery mechanism. How bad do you want to get in that next transaction? But because it's only one megabyte and there's a limited amount of space, 
uh, it means that that transaction fee gets bid high, as high as like $50 sometimes. That's rare, but generally. Oh, no, no. Like, that's really common on Ethereum now. Like, if you're oh, yeah. Yeah. On Ethereum, it's the same oh, pain. Yeah. It's nuts. And so that's a problem. So now I can't offer that as a value proposition anymore. Right. And then another one, this great idealistic idea that Bitcoin will bring banking to the unbanked impoverished third world countries will be able to send money back home or pay at the market or whatever. And now like imagine, you know, somebody that their wages are the equivalent of 15 us dollars a week. And the freaking transaction fee is $12 to send $1 worth or 20 cents worth. Right. Some fortunate there are other there, you know, Bitcoin cash. I'm a big fan of Bitcoin cash. They just expanded the block size, but you know, and another thing that's kind of makes me feel sad and nostalgic for the good old days. It used to be like the Wild West. It was like total agorism, even on yep. the Bitcoin blockchain, right? And then the yep. Silk Road stuff and the FBI figured out the forensics and then, and then they passed all this taxation legislation and all this stuff. And it's like, we still have that decentralized technology, but it's more controlled and there's more coercion added. But I still, this still holds true and it always did the whole time. I always said, well, at least now people have a choice you know, more of a choice to participate. Whereas having your dollars in the bank, they can just backdoor into the bank. Right. At the end of the day, they can put a gun to your head and you can choose if you're going to tell them your encryption password, I guess. It's so funny because we're looking at chains being built that just mimic the old legacy system, but they're just on distributed blockchains, right? Yeah. Like the idea of having, uh, you and I both were around from, from, you know, the very early days and, um, the idealism and all of the, the, Oh, we're going to change the world this way. And it's going to be, they can't touch us. And now we're seeing it's going, like you just said, right back to the control systems, um, which it makes things like R and some of these other ones very interesting, but it's, it's not like you can build new technology. If the same kind of architecture is just going to envelop it, we have to like change the basic architecture of how we do business and how we protect ourselves and how we um, we're free on our own, but cooperate. Right. Um, the idea of having a, a corporation that everybody owns together. This is the, the aspect and the, the approach that I'm taking because then it, it's like a Voltron, you know, each one of the parts is not strong until you attach them all together. And then there's this one big operating robot that can take on the other conglomerates and robots out there, the corporations. So the idea, it really comes down to governance and, and making sure that we come up with good systems that protect everybody's individual rights and everybody's privacy. Um, and, and, you know, kind of like, kind of like a membership club, right? Like you, you look at golf clubs or country clubs or Mar-a-Lago and all these places. Like there's a, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like your boy a, Trump. Yeah. There's my guy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you got these, these private membership clubs, like a lot of the forums out there now, even online are membership clubs where they set up on the Isle of Jersey or something. And it's like, you you have to join and agree to a certain set of principles and it's sort of the idea is like we keep a level of decorum and you know um responsibility and then you can come and play you know it's like that's kind of in my opinion how we need to run civilizations like yes you can participate so long as you're fucking decent you know and and treat everybody with respect and don't you know lie cheat and steal then you get to play in a place where it makes it better right now that is getting built without our permission with a rule set that we may or may not agree with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I appreciate that for sure. We need to challenge the foundations and the structures and not just try to 
build a payment network on top of the status quo, but really exactly. challenge the like social freedom organization. Is a great example of like, here's how we're going to cooperate as rational, decent human beings and come up with new and innovative ways to express ourselves collectively in a culture of peers. Right. And like it, it the, the technology needs to be appropriately applied. So there might be a good idea to have a transactional blockchain that's really fast and not a high level of data, you know? Um, oh, in, I, I remember what, you were talking about the gas prices and how it has created this free market thing, but then the prices run up and it's, you can't run a corporation that way when you don't know the fixed cost of a transaction. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you create a good, and, and everybody hated this in the very beginning, because you were bringing up issues why Bitcoin is not good. And in the very early days, I was doing that and that was very unpopular, but it made me a great speaker and people that would love to have me there because I brought a, a, a sobering perspective, right? People would get censored for saying all that stuff, like in yeah. the Bitcoin form and everything. Yep, yep. And uh, But I was like, fuck it. it. It is not as great as everybody says, you know, because people sort of just got led around, like even smart people led around like sheep by the hype of the, the possibilities. I, I, I even got, you know, some hopium in the Bitcoin world, right? Um, and the truth of it is, is that it's not as central as decentralized as everybody thinks. And it does have all of these issues and all of these different coins have been addressed. Some of them to, to fix those issues and innovation and stuff. But the idea of a walled garden was such an anathema to the whole libertarian bent of the whole thing. But to me that that seems to be like an important vital part. It's like, you want to know who you're dealing with. You don't want to just be dealing anonymously transaction with somebody who could be, like, I don't want to give uh, a child trafficker money on accident, not knowing that that's what they do. Like, I want to do business with people who are good and who are making the world a better place. So, like, like an exclusive club is sort of like a good idea, in my opinion. Not so much so that it's exclusive of everybody, but it's a voluntary thing that we agree to a certain set of principles and say we're going to behave this way. Um, because then you can have a certain level of accountability and trust, in, in my opinion. Yeah, a reputation element. Um, yeah. A reputation element is really important. Well, let me ask you this. Um, this is all part of the first decentralized evolution, but um, help me get some clarity because I'm, you know, I'm kicking this all around in my head, and I want to bring it about in a presentable, consumable way. And I, you know, I'm I'm always interested in how do we get from here to there, which is really the theme of the Unloose the Goose podcast, right? It's all about actions yep. and solutions. It's an agorist solutions podcast. So. Now that we've kind of laid out what the first decentralized evolution is, there's technology, there's food, there's communication, privacy. What do you think are some of the barriers to us bringing that to fruition? Because, you know, we have our work cut out for us. Obviously, those in power and the huge moneyed interest, although now there's a bunch of crypto millionaires, which really helps the cause, which is great. Yeah. Um, they're like way ahead of us and they have that and they have governments that they control and big corporations that they control and the media, right? And the Bill Gates, Bill yeah. and Melinda Gates Foundation. So we, yeah. we're the underdogs. What do you think it's going to take and what are some practical things that we could do as a movement, as a network, as an agorist cadre to yes. accelerate the first decentralized evolution? So I think the challenge, the first question, one of the challenges is ignorance and then uh, and, and on both sides, both quote unquote sides, right? Ignorance on our side, the agorist side of how the world actually works, what their real <laughs> motivations are, you know, what their actual motivations are. Um, and then on their side, the ignorance of, uh, how we actually operate, like the same thing. It's like ignorance of what the other is doing and the purposes and whys. Um, 
and then also like empathy, I think is really important because if we, I don't think that they are so evil that if we came up with like a really good strategy and could demonstrate that it would work, that they would actually be like, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're wrong and we're going to kill you anyway. Right? Like if we can actually demonstrate. But our strategy would be based on freedom and that's totally antithetical to what. And that's, that, they want. that, that is an assumption with, with all due respect. Um, one, they, they do want freedom or we want tyranny. No, no, no. <laughs> we want freedom and the, the assumption that they do not, I think, is is the is the fallacy there. The I don't just assume that they want to control everybody, right? I think that again that they do because they're afraid. And if we can demonstrate that there's nothing to be afraid of, that we can actually create a win-win situation for everybody. You get to keep your your towers in the sky and all of this wonderful shit, and we can actually manage this better than what the the what you guys have come up with or what your supercomputer has come up with. Um, we are much more creative and compassionate and, and capable and have so much more breadth to our experience than what a supercomputer can really quantumly comprehend. Um, and so that that is one 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 thing in, in terms of like real hardcore skills, like what can we do to, to do this? I think is like learn how to cooperate, not fight with each other, not, you know, have libertarians say you're this kind of libertarian and you're that kind of libertarian, because that's the exact reason why they're like, yeah, we should run this shit because you all are incompetent and can't even get along. They are the type of people who will sit against the table with their enemy and figure out a solution without coming to, to harm. Right. Um, and if they can't, then they'll come to harm. And it's that ego that gets in the way that prevents any true cooperation coming forward. Building the systems that we're building, Fire On, Freedom Cells, you know, the TSP community, Curtis's business even. You know, I saw him on YouTube today, uh, yesterday. I thought that was hilarious. I saw his commercial and he's really killing it. So props to him. Um, but yeah, if, if, you know, we build these communities and we show effectiveness and the understanding of the larger geopolitical and geoeconomic you know issues or solutions for those issues that like we live in a world that is designed to get the cream of the crop to rise to the top and then be ushered into that little cadre of individuals right bill gates wasn't always welcome at the wef it wasn't until he conquered half the world with his microsoft viruses that that he got in he demonstrated an acumen for managing people or managing an aspect of civilization so if we're successful in doing that and we speak well and we can sit at the table and disagree and come up with a fucking solution, then then I think we'll actually be listened to. I don't think that they're, you know, so megalomaniacal that they won't listen to reason. I think that that's possible, but it would necessitate a uh, some sort of leverage or some sort of backstop. Like early yep. on in my political activism, we were doing this effort to – what was this one? This was an effort to get fluoride out of the water. That was like an eight- to ten-year effort and never was yeah. successful. Although the neighboring towns from Austin, the same crew ended up getting it done in the neighboring towns, just not the big city of Austin. They would always like bring in someone, their little public health guy, and like we, yeah. we, we knew that they get CDC grants and stuff, so they weren't going to risk that. But anyway, I went to one of the city council members, and he told me something that really stuck with me as a life lesson in general but especially for politics. And he was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll potentially carry this ordinance, but you got to give me a backstop, John. He was basically saying, like, don't put me out as this lone guy hanging out with all these quacky conspiracy theorists. They used to call us gadflies. Wow. He's like, bring me a backstop. Like, bring me a significant number of people that support it. Bring me a scientist yep. that supports yep. it. Bring me some other council members. So 
what I envision in my head is is having a seat at the table. Like one of the elements that I see the Freedom Cell Network eventually is having like an ambassador, a representative of the community. And eventually when there's like a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand people and they're all on the same page, maybe they do their little vote to do, you know, we're gonna secede or we're gonna declare our independence. They come to the table, that ambassador, and he's like, I'm here to negotiate. We have yep. a group of sovereign people. Yep. We are peaceful people. We yep. we want order. We don't want chaos and disorder. And so we want to see what this transition might look like. Yes. And, and I hear it. And you know, another thing I always would always vibe on, too, is like a great way to get from here to there. It's ignorance, like you were saying, to think that we can smash the state or the state's going to go away. A significant portion of the population loves the state. They love government, and they are damn scared of the responsibility that comes with a genuinely free society, right? A lot of people don't want that, and who are we to take that away from them? Much of them are inculcated and like brainwashed into wanting that. It's like it needs to be this transition where they can still do that, and we can do this. And whenever our paths cross or whenever one of our crew harms your crew, maybe we go into your court. But if our paths aren't crossing, then, you know, just leave us the heck alone. Yep. Yep. Something you said was so, I actually had somebody in my life, like I I sent out a meme that was like two lions, one was in a cage and one was out free. And it was basically like one's counting on the safety and security and the other one like living its life free. And I had a friend actually be like, I'd prefer the cage to be honest with you because, you know, I've got kids and job security and what if something happens it's like it was like a big boom like whoa some people actually want that shit and so and and i think we're both moving in the same direction towards the same purposes and i think we we are both uh skinning the cat in different ways to use a really horrible analogy um but the idea is like we we want to show up at the gates of the castle basically and be like hey just don't fuck with us we can actually work something out look at how beautiful this thing is that we've created this way of doing things. It might actually benefit you to play with us rather than to try to own the full, the whole field. Well, it kind of happened with Bitcoin. Like, um, <laughs> what's his face was invited by the CIA to come sit at the table. Uh, Andreessen, right? Yeah. And a bunch of early Bitcoin developers were for, I mean, not all of them were crypto anarchists, but there's a lot of people that just cozied up to the establishment and to wall street. And they're like, let me teach you how Bitcoin works. And then the reason they did that was to hopefully get, and I remember, cause I was there, I wasn't at the seat at the table with the CIA, but I was there in those conversations with people like Andreessen and the folks and being like, this has to become understood, you know, by military intelligence, by all of these guys, if we're going to get this to become the ubiquitous thing across the globe, I don't think what they had in mind is how things went. And I think it was, again, back to that ignorance thing is like, they were like, oh, if we just share how this works, we're going to change them instead of like the core values of Bitcoin are going to change by them. Do you know what I mean? It was sort of like, we we think we're going to change the system rather than be changed by the system. And that's sort of what's happened. But it's it's a little bit of a middle ground, and we're getting like a little bit more of this this decentralized concept or, or meme or zeitgeist into the actual centralized system. And that's why we're seeing such totalitarian control, because they're threatened. They're scared. Yeah, they're freaking they out. Lead to chaos and anarchy. And it's like, y- yes, there are a lot of crazy anarchists and crazy people who don't know how to behave with one another, but if we build a system that's good enough, that's incentivized properly, we can teach those. It's it's like we can teach those undesirables or bad actors or whatever how to be better actors and show them the value of participation and cooperation instead of uh, you know 
predatory behavior. Because once that's done, it's like the, it's like the, the rising tide lifts all ships. If we raise the collective intelligence and, and consciousness of the people of the planet, this, the whole situation will be better for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I'm always an optimist about liberty and, and the prospects of a free society in general. Yeah. I don't share the optimistic outlook that a lot of people will give up power, right? Power corrupts, right. absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And then yep. I don't know who it was I was talking about how people in power never voluntarily give up that power. But I guess that's why I go back to that, like that leverage point. Um, all right. Well, then on the flip side, what do you think are things that people need to do in order to slow down the nefarious elements of the fourth industrial revolution? Because like they always preach it and it's always presented as though it's this great positive thing. For example, in Austin, they have this program where they want to use blockchain digital identity in order to identify homeless people so they can better dole out public services to them, right? It's always like, oh, this is so good. But we know that there are nefarious intents and all of these controllers, and we can just see what it is that they're doing with the digital immunity certificates, for example. That would be effective. That would be work well efficiently with blockchain and stuff. What do you think that can be done to slow the growth of the fourth industrial revolution, especially the control and surveillance elements? Or do you think more energy should be focused on building our thing and just let them do their thing? Cause they have so much momentum. We might not be able to stop them. Um, I think it's a mixture of both. I, like the analogy of playing on the, on the playground is a really good one. Cause that's all we really are doing as a species. And like get our game of tag going with the rule set that we think is good. They're playing their game of tag that the big kids on the field and they've, they've been playing tag that way forever. And it's sort of like, okay, you guys, you know, we can play tag in your system, but we have this sort of set of rules and we think it'll work better. And it's like that meme or that video of the guy dancing at the EDM festival. He's dancing. He's all crazy. And a couple people are like, Oh, he, he's, he's cool. I like the way he's dancing. They start dancing. And then the whole squad, you know, it hits like that critical mass. I think we're hitting that with Bitcoin and that people like you and myself and some of the other DAX and DAOs, they are like also leading the edge and, you know, it's just going to come to that. And I think that we'll outcompete them because it's, it's like evident the people of the planet are pretty fucking fed up. You know, if you listen to baseline at all, you can tell that like people are pretty much done and all of the people who watch are, are like, holy shit, somebody's speaking the truth. Everybody knows it inherently. Anybody who's in touch with their basic intuition and human, you know, intuition knows that things are messed up. And if we message right, if we demonstrate and live authentically and message authentically, it'll be the thing that everybody wants to do. Um, so I want to give you an opportunity to answer that also. And then we have Marcus and Ryan who've joined us from the goose and the gaggle. And I want to give them an opportunity in the last 20 minutes here, 30 minutes to introduce themselves, tell us what they're about and whatnot. So John, if you want to answer that question and then we'll introduce the, the two geese. I think that which we resist persists. Yes. Right. Like I got, I raised my voice to my son the other day and, uh, it was, I like raised my voice to the point where I apologized and it was, it was too much. Sometimes I raised my voice in a stern manner to kind of demand. Yeah. You no, know, you're serious. It was, it was, it was too much and I apologized. Felt really bad, but I was trying to get the kid to help clean up after dinner instead of just ditch out, you know, and, and I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and he was resisting and the resistance was persisting because I had this negative attitude and this, ah, 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 that kind of energy. 
Uh, that just popped in my head. Wanted to share that. Maybe get it off my chest a little. But yeah. um, I think the same thing. Like with all the parents have been there. Yeah, with the New World Order, with the oligarchs, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, the more that we resist, the more it persists, right? Yep. And like, look what happened with all the whole capital storming. Like, that was massive resistance, and now a lot of people are in prison. Uh, the whole MAGA movement really lost a lot of credibility, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like even more polarizing. And so I think with what these folks are doing, the best thing that we can do is just be like, screw you guys. We're going to do this over here. We're going to do better. And home. Not yeah, and emotionally triggered. Another They're- realization I had is like we can do multiple things, but we do have a limited amount of time and energy and resources. So any effort we put into doing this over here is necessarily something that's not put into over here. And I think building the alternative is the most important thing that we could do. Yeah, I agree. So welcome, Marcus and Ryan. If you guys want to unmute yourselves, maybe uh, if you're comfortable with it, show your videos, show your faces. And um, we'll ask you who you are and what do you think about the topics that we're talking about here tonight with the first decentralized evolution. Marcus, we can start with you. And please provide your social security number, please. Thank you. <laughs> Address uh, and driver's license number. Thumper. Yeah, okay, I'm trying. First of all, um, excuse me, I'm not a native English speaker. I'm um, watching from Germany. All right. So I, well, um, I might start a little. That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a social worker. I grew up in the projects, and um, we helped each other back then. Yeah, and life was great. And now yeah. I made it uh, up the ladder. I have my own home in a nice neighborhood, and uh, so life is not that great again. Yeah. What What do you see as the problem there? <sighs> a mixture between the convenience you were talking about, egoism. Um, showing off, yeah. Therefore, therefore, not being honest and not being open to other people. Right. I, you know, John, that really goes back to everything we we're talking about. The the ego. It's like only the ego can be afraid, right? Your true central identity, your your I am self, can't be afraid of anything because it's eternal. But in this separation state that we exist on this planet, it's like. Oh, I could lose everything. Therefore, I'm, I am, I can die. The ego can die. And so it's immediately scared. Mm. And then it'll do all of these horrible things to defend itself. And then you get out of control egos like Gates who get so much wealth and, and uh, accumulation that they're so scared for everybody that they feel like justified in, you know, making vaccines that depopulate the planet and they get kicked out of nations and become like Thanos like. So Marcus, mm. what do you think about decentralization as a means of for us as a species to get back to that state that you were talking about or improve upon it and evolve to a better state. Is it really evolving or is it revolving? Revolving. Oh, that's a good one. Right, John? Like everything's in cycles. Yeah. I, uh, so I, in the Ron Paul revolution, that's when I started drifting more towards evolution because of the cycles, like revolution. The whole implication was like, let's take over the Republican party or whatever, but it would just revolve back. I mean, we can't deny that there are cycles, but I like the the revolution is like going around in circles, not advancing. That's why I like evolution because it's like going forward with something new, although it's based on the old, but it's in a new form. Yeah. So how do you think, uh, Marcus, that we can take these technologies that we're talking about, um, these decentralized autonomous organizations or corporations, and do you think we have a chance, A, and then B, 
If so, how how do we best move forward? I mean, I don't think it's possible to cut all the strings that tie you to the rest of the world, but uh, to at least cut some strings and weaken the ones that are left that you can't cut. Just like me today. It's, I mean, I am living in Germany. We have a much higher population density than you have over there. Right. Um, but I just got my solar panels installed just today. To Hell yeah. Just to get a little more independent from the grid. Good for you. That's awesome. How how are the lockdowns there right now? Didn't they just lock down more authoritarianly? Yeah, I read that. Yeah, uh, if I would care. <laughs> <laughs> you just ignoring them. You're like, no, no, nah, it's like I'm, my life doesn't really change. I'm not uh, living in the city. Um, oh, good, good. Um, I, I I'm still able to see my people. We're allowed to meet like um, uh, people from. Another household. Uh huh. Um, and so you're allowed to meet a family from another household. Uh, yeah, that yeah. word stuck out for me. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's how it feels. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. How it feels. And um, uh, we may be five persons altogether, um, not counting kids under fourteen. Okay. Uh, you know, rules change every day. So yeah. if if I would really care about being 100% correct every day. I mean, that would take up half my day. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I just I just don't have time for that. I spend time with my kids. I'm trying to set up my garden. I am experimenting with hydroponics. You know, all the all the yeah. Jack stuff. Good for you. Do you I li- like that. Yeah. Do you listen to uh, Jack Spierko or do you listen to John's he, podcast? He's the guy who brought me there. Good. good. The yeah, one, yeah. the only. I yeah. appreciate your perspective. It just shows like so we read an article or see on social media Germany in this more authoritarian lockdown. It's like, oh my God, poor Germans. This is terrible. It's happening again. But, you know, it's always important in spite of the tyranny around us to be grateful. And I know it sounds kind of slavish to like be grateful for the freedoms that we have. Right. But it's like, if you focus on the freedoms and spending time with your family, which you enjoy and working on the aquaponics and the garden, like that's your worldview, your Weltanschung. That's your yeah. life, right? Yeah. But if you're focused on the news and, oh my God, another lockdown or on the flip side, another variant and so on and so forth, then that's going to be your reality and you're going to feel like a slave, right? And what's more important, I believe, than physical freedom is the freedom of our mind, right? And having control and liberty over our mind and our emotions, right? And so, I, that's what I got from your perspective. We're like, is it really terrible over there? And you're like, no, nah, man, I'm gardening in the backyard. Life's good. And so life is good I mean, for focus, you. That's focus, your focus. Focus is the most important thing. It's like I'm um, I'm doing Tai Chi for 20 years. And I'm a man. teacher for, for um, 10 years now. And um, what I learned there is if I focus on the problem, like somebody grabs my wrist, I'm all my physical and mental being is focused just on that grab on the wrist. But the whole rest of my body is free. So why yeah. should I give two shits about my wrist when I can do everything else? That's so great. B- both of you, like, I, I'm, I'm just filled with gratitude and joy when I hear you both say that because, uh, I remember when I was doing youth uh, empowerment work a long time ago and there was this story that we told about a race car driver who seemed to always miraculously avoid the wrecks that would, that happened so often. And he said, well, the reason why is because I don't look at the wreck. I know it's there, but I look to where I'm going. 
And that, I think, right there, both of you have really just exemplified that. And I think, John, that answers also our question, like, how do we get the world of our dreams? Well, we know what's going on so that we know how to avoid it, but we stay focused on what we want that world to look like and then building that world. And then enrolling other people into our vision, inspiring them to take that vision and build it on their own as well and contribute and cooperate. Because I think the world's missing that. You know, John F. Kennedy was like, we're going to the moon. And so for the first time in a long time, everybody was like, we all have a goal together. Right? I like that. That's beautiful. Uh, Thank you very much, Marcus. Thank you, Marcus. Have a good time. Enjoy over there. I was going to say earlier, one of the challenges... um, you just reminded me of this. One of the challenges, I think, to the first decentralized evolution is so many people lack the creative vision to yep. even contemplate the possibility of a society existing without government, right? They're like, that's not, that would be anarchy or chaos or they like pull Mad up. Mad Max. Head. Yeah. Yeah. They pull up, yeah, Mad Max or like black, uh, outfit throwing a Molotov cocktail and stuff. And I think the, one of the best ways to teach is something David Freeman said is like, uh, showing is one of the best ways of education. So showing like, well, look what we build, look what we're doing, look how we can communicate. I think cryptocurrency really did that a a whole lot. Like Bitcoin, when I'm talking about anarchy and people are like, that's not possible. I'm like, well, there, even though there's like regulations and this, that, and the other, it's like, we have a decentralized network where people can make decisions, where people agree on things with they, people they don't even know. It can't be shut down. It's a very beautiful thing. It's it's anarchy in action in many ways. Yeah, it's a whole new world. And, and when a whole new I was thinking world. that that was coming through my head. <laughs> All right. So, Ryan, we got you on board now. Uh, if you could either open your mute channel and or your video, let us see who you are and tell us who you are and where you're at and what you're about. Fireon.com. Fireon.com. Cool. Thanks for... Fireon.com. Uh, thanks for, uh, having me here, guys. Um, I'm actually, un- unfortunately, a, uh, low level government employee, so I can't show my face here. But, oh, God. Uh, Get him out of here. Yeah. Bye. No, just kidding. <laughs> we traced your IP but, um, address and are sharing it with the FBI as we speak. <laughs> He's like, but, actually, uh, I work yeah, for the uh, water department. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, uh, a soon to be college grad, and, uh, I spent, you know, the, the last, you know, four years or so sur- surrounded by all the things that, you know, suck away hope and, you know, things that, you know, the things that we all want to do in life are all, you know, frowned upon by those around you in that kind of environment. But right. um, seeing things like this podcast or Jack Spierko's podcast or Curtis Stones and seeing what we are really capable of doing if we just, you know, say, screw it, you know, to all the noise and go do our own thing. Uh, I think there's a lot of power in that. And as time goes on, more people will see that um, and find places like this to, to vent and hear things that they like and, you know, do something more with their lives. 100%. How are you doing that? What do you, hey, what are you studying? First of all, what's your graduate, what you're graduating with? <laughs> funny story. Um, I love, funny so story. I'm getting my degree in po- political science. I was pursuing a master. Oh, that's in it. Public- no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that was what um, I got my degree in. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was pursuing my master's in public administration. Um, I was, you know, doing some classes and then I found Curtis Stone and Jack Spirico and just kind of turned me around there to, you know, questioning the powers that be. So that degree is kind of like a unhappy burden, but I, you know, did it with no debt. So it's not too bad. 
Well, it's well actually, that's a good. That's a plus. No debt. Way to go. Huge, huge plus. That's awesome. Um, so, but in in my opinion, as you were saying that, I'm thinking like, oh, you know how the system works from the inside, right? And like, there are ways to improve upon it. And I'm and sitting from the outside, you know, we get to say things and see things. But when you know how things work from the inside, it's really gives you a greater depth of experience and, and know-how. And Marcus is chatting in the group chat, and he says, same thing here. I'm a state-employed uh, social worker, so mainly teaching people to get their money back. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so Ryan, you're, you're, I, I take it you're also doing some sort of uh, agorism and self-reliance. Um, how are you exercising that in your day-to-day? Um, I finally got into the, uh, you know, cryptocurrency realm, uh, and I'm loving that. Um, I'm actually, I'm kind of running off a couple post-college job offers, you know, for, they pay, you know, 60K plus a year. They're decent, but they're, you know, they're all part of the system. So I'm um, actually, I applied for a job on a organic permaculture farm that pays 20 to 30K a year to really learn those skills. And uh, my grandfather's got a nice piece of property and I, I'm really contemplating starting my own permaculture farm essentially there in the next, in the coming years. So that's kind of the dream. That's great. More power to dream. Especially if you live on the farm and you got, you have your housing covered, then you can really pursue that and build those skills. So that's such extremely valuable skills, knowing how to grow your own food. It's so freaking important. And even if if the pay isn't six figures or $60,000, it's still invaluable. It's a different kind of wealth than a financial wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I love the, you know, the eight forms of capital, that concept of there's so much more to, work and labor and things that we can all learn to grow wealth in abstract ways that can have more benefit than a, than financial, you know, well-being in some You're ways. You're speaking my crackalacking language there, mate, because we used actually, I, I met Gregory and Ethan um, back at Permaculture Voices One, and we're using the eight forms of capital as the basis for our social merit algorithm, right? Fyron.com. Fyron.com. So it's basically like a corporation and you're part of the corporation. You want to better yourself, right? And instead of going to an HR evaluation for the tasks that you do, it's basically like I am a valuable being, not just in financial capital or intellectual capital, but also social and spiritual and material. Oh, capital, nice. You know, and um, it's kind of like your D&D stats in a D&D game, right? If you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. And it's actually to our benefit. It's to John's benefit. It's to everybody in the corporation's benefit for you to be the highest statted person that you can be, right? And so it's like your own personal HR roadmap on how to better yourself, your spiritual nature, your physical nature, your emotional nature, learn permaculture, learn survival. These things actually add benefit to you and to the whole corporation, right? The whole organization. So I would say, like, for me, for instance, I learned survival. I learned how to walk into the woods with a knife and be fine. I could take my family out there and thrive. So, you know, if the, the great reset does come, we'll be like, all right, peace out, motherfuckers, and just go and do that. So That's what you did with COVID coming around, huh? That's exactly what we did. Um, and, you know, I, I, was, I was seeing it coming from a mile away. But the point here is, like, when I go to business meetings, I've got a knife on me. I might be in a three-piece suit and looking all fresh and fly, but like, if a bomb were to drop outside the window, I'd know exactly how to get out the building. Or if somebody came you in, cut with the a- bomb with a knife. Exactly, MacGyver <laughs> that shit. So the the point is, is that the level of confidence that you have as an individual, when you know I could be dropped off into the woods and take care of myself, there ain't nobody in a suit in fucking penny loafers or their fucking khakis and pink shirts that could make you threatened or feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know what I mean? 
So they all build on each other too. I, I wasn't familiar with this eight forms of capital, but I just pulled it up to look at it. And, and I really like that. W- one yeah. thing, um, my ex-wife and I, we were like impoverished activists for the longest time, but I always knew like wealth, I, I define wealth as being able to get what you want when and where you want it out yeah. of life, right? Uh, obviously money helps substantially with that, but it's not necessary. And so one thing that I realized was like, we would travel the country, um, exposing these fusion centers, Department of Homeland Security fusion centers. And she had such a nationwide network. This was back in 2009. I was growing my stuff and doing stuff in Texas. She brought me out to like the, the national liberty movement and we could literally roll into any city or state post online. And be like, hey, we, we need a place to crash overnight. We've been driving for 10 hours. And there would be multiple people that would be like, hey, you can crash on our couch or we have a spare bedroom or sure, this, that, and the other. We'll cook you breakfast in the morning. And that awesome. that level of social capital is invaluable. You know, It's really important. It's not just the money that you have. And then they all are synergistic and build on one another. So if you have the confidence to take someone out with a knife, when you sit down to a business meeting or to a job um, opportunity, uh, then you can help to expand your financial capital because you have the confidence and the wherewithal. Or if you spend well, a lot of time socializing here and there, then you can use that for other areas. So that's a really cool way to think about it. The yeah, those guys capital. were brilliant. And it's so, un- their work is so underrated. Um, and I-, I hope to bring them more recognition as we, as we move forward and really get rolling on our DAP because, you know, a lot of people talk about Black Mirror and the social, uh, social credit score in fucking China. Uh, in the CCP. And it's like, yeah, you see, back to your original, original question to bring it full circle. Yes, John, they're going to build this technology and we're going to end up in the B system unless we build it ourselves and make it better and make it the way we want to. And again, it just goes to proxying your destiny to somebody else or taking it into your own hands and applying the full creative wisdom and power and passion that God has put within us to actually activate and use that shit towards something that we believe is good. Because more than likely, if we are so inspired and move with such passion, it'll generally outperform something that is designed to usurp power. Yeah. I've always pointed out that we have truth and freedom on our side and truth and freedom are the natural state of things. Yes. The, these, you know, the oligarchs and these technocrats, they have to use deception often, like false flag terrorism, for example, in order to pursue their agenda. We just yep. have to simply be, or better yet, to line up with that being, to go back to our roots, yep. and and we're going to be okay. They have to try hard and work at it and deceive and manipulate and use Correct. violence and force. We just got to go with the flow, man. You know, Denive, think, you know, strategize, plan, deceive, and like... Dark. Here, yeah, and here we are, it's just fucking living and being happy and like radiating possibility, probability, and joy. And it's a, just a natural attractor to all those others. I like, I watched my kid on the playground uh, a year or two back and she just walked out on the playground, had no preconceived notions of public school systems where you have to co-op, uh, conform, you know, shut yourself down and all this stuff. And she comes out and she's like, why is everybody like playing by themselves? Hey, you want to play tag? You want to play tag? You want to, and then the next thing you know, the whole playground is like, Nice. cooperating you like or greater organization you know like more power there's more fun everybody's feeling better social when, capital exactly and when we do that shit it, it like lights people up life force moves through us and greater uh structural you know coherence happens at a, at a greater level yeah. more electricity and life force so yeah i like doing things in the light and i don't resonate with like a lot of people in the freedom cell network they are more concerned with privacy and like somebody was getting onto us for not having some better form of verification besides email. 
And I was like, just make a dummy email if you want. But I, I'm like loud and proud about my activism and my path. And I don't think that what we're doing is something that we should hide from or be afraid. The more of us that are like loud and proud and out and like, yeah, we, we defy the government. We want a genuinely free society. This is our birthright as free sovereign human beings, right? We don't have to hide in the shadow. There's that quote about like, only bad things happen in the dark or whatever, or like roaches yeah. in the darkness, something like that. Yeah. You know, we should be, we should stand loud and proud with our position when it comes to freedom because it's the natural state of things. This is very, very true. Um, I noticed we were in the last 15 minutes. I want to give Marcus and Ryan a big shout out. And is there anything you guys would like to actually ask us? Freedomcells.org. Freedomcells.org. Fireon.com. Uh, 3D printer, go burr, with three R's. Three R's. Yeah. Make sure you point that out. Dot com. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard question, but I mean, it's not super related to what we're just talking about, but um, Xavier, I'm just curious, you know, the future of Fireon, you know, I've, you know, I've... Fireon.com. I'm on the site, and I, you know, listen to Baseline and all these things. I'm just curious where you see that going, you know, in the next decade or so with Fireon and, and you know, these new forms of communicating and organizing. Well, I'm really glad you asked that, citizens. <laughs> Let me tell um, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so in the next year, I, I was just communicating with a big municipality in Florida and talking about NFTs and how we can take all of their permits, licenses, and all of their bureaucratic administrative bullshit and make tokens out of them and unify the entire bureaucratic system across Florida so that they can do their job more efficiently, cost less, and basically for free, and they're flipping their shit, and they fucking love it. And I'm saying, okay, so we can do this. We can in, implant ourselves and replace some of the bureaucratic bullshit and create a free network where people, and when I mean free, I don't mean financially free. I mean free as in truly liberty-oriented with privacy, protection, KYC, all of that, and create a real transparent, clear banking system and economic system that's mixed with your social media apparatus and, and like your entertainment and all of this stuff. Um, but that, that's kind of nebulous. Have you ever seen the movie Passengers with uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence? They get on this big spaceship and go to another fucking planet and they have to go into stasis and then they wake up halfway through as an accident or whatever. Um, nothing to do with the premise of the movie, but in that movie, they both worked for a huge corporation Right. And that corporation owned the ship. It owned the houses. It owned the restaurants. It owned the food that they were served. It produced the food that they ate, produced their own medical care. It was basically like they were serfs for the corporations and making the corporation's ends happen. But it was a very centralized system where, you know, a group of uh, basically their equivalent of bankers sat on the top of the corporation and everybody were serfs. So going back to what John was saying. You know, if we want to run the world as it is with everybody, the same standard of living, we need to get rid of so many people or we have to. Uh, if we're going to keep the same amount of people, we have to make everybody serfs, basically enslaved to the system. Well, there's another fucking option. And that option is uh, building our own corporation, an America of corporations, if you will, where everybody's part owner and represented there. And their eight forms of capital demonstrate their their value to the system. And you're incentivized to learn and grow and become a better version of yourself because it benefits the cooperative and all of that. And so I see the future as 
you're only going to need one app essentially. Um, and you'll be able to search the web. You'll be able to do all of these things. All your data will be stored on various blockchains and it won't be connected to you. You'll have an NFC chip or an um, NFT chip uh, key in your wallet and it'll allow you to access your data, data. So like your HIPAA medical data, it's like if somebody hacked the medical blockchain, they'd get all the data, but they wouldn't know it was you. And every time you interacted with it, it would scramble. So we couldn't, the corporation couldn't even tell what was happening or what, you know, what you did. So they, you know, let's say we get subpoenaed by the government or whatever. It's like, we can hand over the data because we can't even see it. So we protect everybody's privacy. And I see it as like a layer over the internet where you log in and you can do all of the functions. I mean, that's what Facebook's trying to do. That's what, um, what's that Chinese version? Um, uh, do you know which one it is, John Weibo? Communist Party. Yeah, the Communist Party. Thank you. The Communist Party app that they have. Um, you know, it's like like what Facebook wanted to be, the one stop for the Internet for you, a layer on top. So that's essentially what Firon's going to do. You'll be able to watch all your content videos, make videos, get paid for your behaviors, your contributions to the company um, without censorship and with a cultural value system that everybody decides together that we don't like there's no president on the top. It's it's like John's freedom selves where there's like groups of influence. And if you are the, the quote unquote janitor for that that group, you know, and you're and you're the people whose influence that you affect, whose lives you affect, get to vote and rate you like an Amazon product. And if your product rating goes below like a five ratio of how many people you have, then your token has a smart contract on it and disappears out of your wallet and you can't go into the app where you're supposed to do your part of the job. So there's immediate accountability. And if anybody fucks up, it's like, Poop, you, you're out, buddy. Sorry, you, you didn't work out until you gain everybody's trust back and whatever. So that's what I see in the long term and the long term vision. I expect it to be like one of the largest corporations on the planet and counter the dystopian future with one that's sane, where everybody is uh, cooperative and, and able to govern it together like they do in Switzerland or, you know, the Iroquois. My I public admin and prof would hate that. <laughs> What's that? My uh, public administration, you know, professors would just would, would hate that. So good on your you. Public, I love it. Your public administration officials would hate that. Oh yeah, absolutely. All the the uh, professors and, and all the students, everyone. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, <laughs> so he loves it. Yeah, I, think, awesome. <laughs> I always was. I, I was torn with that approach as an anarchist when I started to learn about blockchain. I realized like, wow, this blockchain tech could really improve the local city government. Like you could put yeah. the, the budget on a blockchain and you can just have your uh, multi-signature addresses and keys that unlock it and you could track where the money goes and it could be really sophisticated. Yep. Same thing with voting, but I kind of lean towards the like, I don't want government to be more efficient. I want government to fail and I want it to remain inefficient and bloated so people can see see it for what it is. I can appreciate the middle path, right? And I can see yeah. the benefit that it would have. It's not my strategy per se, but you would think a public administration teacher or bureaucrats that genuinely understand it unless they want to control or unless they're corrupt, right, they would appreciate right. something like that. It would make I their jobs easier. I know the mayor did. They fucking loved it. They were like, holy shit, this would save us so much money. It would make our job so much easier, you know. Um, so I, I see there's a, a middle road. Like, yeah, I, I think that if, if we learn to play ball, 
not in this, not in the dark sense, like, you know, you get a record deal, learn how to play ball by getting it, you know, bunged up the butthole, but, you know, learn how to play ball <laughs> where, you know, uh, you understand their needs, their motivations, their desires, and you can better the situation. Uh, I think it's to everybody's benefit too. I, I, I do see your, your, your point there though, John, like, I want it to fail so everybody can see how stupid it is because it really, really is, you know. But at the same time, it's like, what what about everybody who makes a living that way? And how are we going to provide living? How are people going to provide livings for themselves and to what degree? And how I, I am I am of the mind that if government got out of the way, everybody could do better. Right. They, they'd have more money, more capital, more wherewithal. But it's it's like, okay, well, where does education... I love, by the way, the sexy idea of having our own private protection force. Like, we're going to totally do that, you know? Um, so, yeah. Let's do it. You can lead it with your knife at the beginning, in the front, in front of the charge, <laughs> front of the line. Well, how about this? We put them in all white stormtrooper outfits and be like, where are the peacekeepers? Fireon.com. <laughs> That'd be fucking crazy. So let's Senator Palpatine, again, yeah. with the deceit and the conspiracy... Yeah. Well, the idea is like decentralize every role. You have multi-sig wallets. Nobody can do anything on their own. Everybody gets rotated in and out, out of those positions. And they're essentially janitors because they're held so accountable, right? You can't, you can't really do anything. You can just curate and serve, you know, and that's, that's the idea. To curate and to serve. Well, I've gotten a lot out of this conversation. I, I realized earlier I didn't even mention the date of this uh, event we're doing. It's the Decentralized Distributed and Disruptive Tech, Tech Summit. And it's taking place April. 24th and 25th, April 24th and 25th, a month away. And that's where we really want to introduce and kind of launch this idea of the first decentralized evolution. So people can learn more about it at d3techsummit.com, d3techsummit.com. It's going to be all virtual this time, so people can participate. I have a couple questions on YouTube. Um, Portugal doesn't, this is from Wayne's Burt. Portugal doesn't tax crypto at the moment. What do you think is the motive behind that? Or is it to attract crypto millionaires? I really appreciate the gaggle. Greets from a Belgian crypto permaculture youngster. We're global, Thanks, baby. Wayne. That's awesome. Global. So I think Portugal, um, along with Puerto Rico, are doing the same thing. And that's, yeah, they want to attract wealth and they want to attract sort of like the tech and the, the innovative thinking that's going on. I'm doing a lot of business in Portugal right now. And it, it, it's the same thing. It's like a very, from Portugal's perspective, it's a very appealing passport that Europeans or Chinese would want. You know, it's attracting investors and people with a lot of money. And that's the reason why Puerto Rico did it. You know, it's like bring the tech innovation to the state and, and people will build businesses around it. I mean, it's really, it's, it's a, like, John, you should check it out. It's a really good, uh, you know, for, for crypto folks. I don't have enough money to, to have it benefit me. <laughs> Um, St. Kitts and Nieves or whatever. That's a great example, though, of your little middle path. There are governments, right? And maybe there's some benevolent folks that are like they're looking out for their best interests and they see a way that can help their budget, their government, their tax base, and also help people to innovate and flourish. And there's like that compromise. Okay, well, you come here. Maybe you'll have to pay this tax or that tax, but we'll allow you to let your crypto stuff just flourish. It's the same thing as uh, there's these great like startup societies is one of them, and uh, there's yeah. a few other little yep. nonprofits and think tanks. And one of the things that they're pursuing is this concept of a free private city. And so it's a corporation. It's like a it's like a corporation that 
runs the city and that's you have a contract start, with the corporation. Yep. And so that's a great example of like there's certain governments that are like, okay, well, we're, you know, you're going to have to pay this much, a tiny little bit of taxes, but we're going to give up a whole lot of freedom because we know by you coming here, it's going to be a draw. There's going to be tourism. There's going to be taxes elsewhere. Yeah. And it's like this negotiating with a lot leader man. in the sales world. Yeah, exactly. So Marcus, last thoughts, questions? Not really. Not really. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to get into the crypto thing. I, I'm not a tech guy. I'm a craftsman by trade. Uh, yeah. I, I don't understand most of the things you're talking about. <laughs> so once you get into crypto, you never go back. Everybody, like literally everybody I know that gets into crypto is like gung ho. They, they, once they get it and they understand it, they're all in. So I, I, while I totally get your, uh, provincial perspective, I think it's important that you learn about it because, um, it is, Blockchain and cryptocurrencies are how all transactions will be in the future. Um, you know, obviously not at the community level and the barter and, and you know, the neighborhood level, but uh, it would be, be be to your benefit, my man. I really do believe that. Um, from, from what I see now, I totally believe it. Uh, it's just that I don't get the terms. I'm yeah, going to share a video like, in the comments. We did one on the gaggle. It was me, Sal, and Hawk, and we did a lot of beginner stuff and some basic stuff. I'm sharing that on Loose the Goose. And then I did one uh, myself. It's like an hour and a half long with me just going over all the basics and how Bitcoin and blockchain works and how to set up a wallet and stuff. I'll, I'll share that with you, too. It's a great, some great awesome. beginner resources. Awesome. awesome. Marcus, thank you for joining us. Say hello to Klaus Schwab for us. <laughs> I mean, this, this guy's English even hurts my ears. <laughs> I know, right? Do me or, me or Klaus? No. Klaus. Yeah. Yeah, he's so, a clown. I, I appreciate you, Marcus, for being here all the way from Germany. It's got to be pretty late over there right now. Um, maybe it's like, what, 10? Uh, 11.30. There you go. Thanks for taking the time out of your evening to, to join us. Ryan, last thoughts, last questions, anything uh, you'd like to share with the gaggle or with John or myself? nothing here but thanks for having me on guys dude you guys are champs i i was hoping like we'd have a longer discussion and you you kind of stuck it out in the waiting room and that was really dope of you i appreciate it i love having the gaggle on you know it's really great when when we've got our full panel and um discussions like that but i love making room for all of you all because you are what makes this podcast work you know otherwise we'd be sitting talking to ourselves you know (laughs) and recording it for fun So, you know, getting to know you guys is really what makes it worthwhile for me. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I'm I'm totally inspired. Like when I hear stories and like Marcus's and your own, it's like it it, it makes me have hope for humanity. Let me just put it that way. Heck yeah. So thanks for joining us. And John, any last thoughts? Peace and freedom. Check out uh, what we're doing at thegreaterreset.org, and I appreciate your input and insights on this hawk. And DT3, what was it? it. Oh, the first decentralized evolution. One D E. One D E dot com. Oh, the website is d3techsummit.com. D3techsummit.com. And everybody, please email John Bush and tell him he should have me on. So, uh, John, thank you so much for sharing your, your vision. Thanks so much for Freedom Cells. That's a really dope organization. And like, I'm, I'm glad that we're running alongside each other going towards the same, Heck you know, yeah. same readout. We're doing it. Yep. 
And uh, if you haven't checked out, uh, John, tell them your podcast. Live Free Now, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Check it out online at livefreenow.show. That's livefreenow.show. And if you are listening to this on iTunes or any streaming podcast service, please do give us a subscription and a review. It helps us get up there in the rankings. I think we've become like a lifestyle uh, no, like hit the lifestyle charts globally or something like that. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, top, top 100 or something to that effect. And then we're also at t.me slash unloose the goose. Uh, you can get some conversations with us and the crew and we post the zoom meeting links. That's how, uh, Marcus and Ryan joined us. Um, they, they did that from the Unloose the Goose telegram. And then my name is Xavier Hawk, and that's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-W-K, and it's at Xavier Hawk on all the social media platforms, except for Twitter, because they suck, and they kick me off. Um, and I do a, a daily show, called, a, week, a daily weekday show called Baseline, which is, uh, uh, hilarious, fun. hilarious daily news under 140 seconds, and it's the baseline frequency of what the fuck's really going on. Byron.com. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot. This was episode 33 of Unloose the Goose, the first decentralized evolution. Honk, honk. Honk. Unloose the Goose. We'll take no.